0: The fact that I remember him as the bassist, I think, speaks volumes.
1: Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radiodrome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot. I, yes. He seemed a little unsure of that at first, but then he, he decided to go with it. He stuck the landing. Back this week, because he woke up, is Peter.
0: Sleep-deprived and ready to alternative rock.
1: But if you guys want to help out the show, we have a Patreon. Just look for 1201 Beyond or Radio Drome, Or you guys go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So this week, we're going to talk about Joe Bob Briggs. Peter wasn't around the first time we did, but Cecil and I talked about Joe Bob Briggs about two years ago. Everything's changed now. Joe Bob is bigger than ever. I think he might actually be bigger right now than he was at Monster Vision's height due to the new Shutter series, the last drive-in. What do you think about Joe Bob Briggs breaking into the mainstream now, you know, when he's in his 60s?
0: I think it's great because the guy's got so much charisma to offer offer and so much knowledge about this stuff, especially when it comes to like B grade and Z grade movies. And he's so entertaining when he talks about it. So there's no reason for him not to be taking advantage of the streaming and online culture that we have today to talk about what he's talking about, because especially since there is an audience for this, you know, there's people that watch Cecil's show, Brandon's show, my show, you know, Brad's show that listen to our podcast and we talk about this sort of stuff. So there's a niche market for it, but there's absolutely just Justifiably big enough niche market for him to come in and talk about it. Twitter normally is just
2: complete hot garbage, but it warmed my heart so much to see on Friday night trending was Joe Bob and was Castlefree. A freaking and Chud. 19 and, and Chud, right. It was like a 1995 Stuart Gordon film that most most mainstream folks have never thought about outside of you know our grouping and whatnot and, and so don't even know some... that
0: it's like uh, most people don't even know that it's like another one of Gordon's uh, Lovecraft flicks too. Yeah,
2: they just they don't know. You know, they they see they they see the cover and whatever, they just uh, make their various assumptions about it. It was just so cool to see something like that. Like, here's this thing that really hasn't gotten that huge rush of attention in years and now it's on Twitter, like it's trending that people are talking about it. He's interviewing Barbara Crampton and it was just such a cool thing to uh to see and it it shows the power of uh, of Joe Bob and it shows the power of something like cult cinema. It's like it's called that for a reason. There are cult fans, and the cult has a tendency to bring in fans from outside of that. You know, you get mainstream people who might see something like this and decide, hey, this was really cool. Maybe I should check out some other stuff. And they'll look at you know Stuart Gordon. They'll see, well, what else has this guy done? And then maybe they'll become a fan of that. I mean, that's how you get grow the cult audience. You have to kind of go outside of that and bring in some more of the uh the mainstream folks and it's it's cool it's it's neat to see
1: we have an interview with joe bob i'll play in a little bit he he thinks that this is all due to youtube his entire resurgence is YouTube, because people like myself and others posted all of the old Monster Visions and drive-in theaters and sleaziest movies in the history of the world and all this. He has more people come up to him at shows. He does the live shows you know, where he sometimes he hosts a movie or he has his traveling show, How the Redneck Saved Hollywood. He'll have people come up to him who weren't even alive when Monster Vision went off the air that are like, I'm your biggest fan. That, he said, is mind-boggling. It's true. Like there are torrent sites
2: and YouTube and whatnot that have posted all of his old clips uh, because and, you know, some of them, the torrent sites mostly will post the clips along with the movie. There is an entire audience that would not have any idea who he is if not for it getting out there because of
0: piracy. No, no, that completely makes sense because that's what introduces new generations to a lot of um older stuff or just stuff from like 10, 15 years ago. It's it's a way for people to become introduced by it from people that were fans from it when it came out that are putting it up on YouTube, you know, sharing their memories of it. And you have new people getting introduced to it, which is just that's fantastic that we're keeping someone like Joe Bob Briggs, his his entertainment style and his charisma alive by sharing him with with future generations. And I. I think that's great, and I think that's absolutely the reason for his resurgence. Not only that, but people that also grew up with things like Mystery Science Theater, the people that grew up obviously watching his show and decided to make their own shows that were very similar. Like, Joe Bob Briggs was kind of essentially the original B-movie, Z-movie reviewer guy. Like, he's absolutely one of my influences, that, that along with, like, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark and stuff, this kind of, like, character that would be sort of character, but also kind of it's sort of personable at the same time that's introducing you to these movies you, you might not have, might never have heard of in like a very sort of charismatic and excited sort of way. Like Joe Bob especially just goes on those fantastic tangents. So I think uh, there's a lot of people in general that brought their influence of him onto YouTube and did their own shows. And not only that, but you have people sharing old episodes of his shows onto YouTube and then you have people getting introduced to it that way. So it's, that's absolutely true.
1: Well, then we got to talk about the shutters thing. Well, even though Cecil used to shill for them.
2: I didn't shill for them. I was... They sponsored me. And they're great. It's a great service. That's shelly. I mean, they're not, they're not, but they're not paying. I'm saying that now they're not paying me right now. They, you know, I've, I've already, I did the, sh- I did the spots for them and they paid me. And I'm saying that they're good because they are legitimately good. I'm not saying they're good because they're paying me. They well, are a really great service. And now they're, they, I mean,
1: they brought back Joe Bob. I mean, that's worth five bucks a month. The weird thing about them bringing Joe Bob back. Now I have certain issues with the corporate corporates and all that Uh, i'll leave all that aside okay when joe bob was supposed to come back for the last drive-in that 26 hour marathon 13 movies it was the last drive-in that was supposed to be it that was so popular not only did it destroy Shutter, it literally crashed the servers he broke the freaking internet that night I think Shudder underestimated how many people wanted to watch this but it was so popular they were like this was supposed to be a swan song we gotta do this again and <laughs> now look at where we are because I'm of two minds of the last drive-in the 26 hour marathon I am very glad Joe Bob is back and I'm glad he came back for the dinners of death and the very Joe Bob Xmas thing but it was also a very good finale the music plays the lights go down at the end of it and he puts the hat on the chair I think that would have been a perfect send-off so I don't know how I feel about it coming back as a series I love it but also I'm afraid it's going to be like when they bring back a show years after it was supposed to have been canceled I'm afraid of that you know
0: I think with Joe Bob we're always just going to get his genuine personality with it though
1: Oh, I agree yeah. with that because I, I was talking to his assistant trying to set up the interview and everything both times. I, I asked, like, how hard, because, you, you know, you see him just go. He'll just go for eight, nine
0: minutes, barely oh, taking am- a breath. I'm so jealous of that without stuttering or anything. Like, yeah. man, the guy's got a natural gift of gab. Yeah, because
1: I, I asked her, like, how much prep does he do? Does it rehearse? She's like, no, he just gets in there and does it. And it's just, My he God. just, you know, just gets in there and does this all in one take
2: insane like i need time to like collect my thoughts and and i'll f up and need to re-record or something but yeah he's just that that is a gift that is a it's a freaking is.
0: i just recently tried my latest video i just did was almost completely unscripted and it was so hard to do i was like okay i got my thoughts together and then i something up in the middle it's like ah now i gotta stop pause and then like intercut this and it's like it's very very hard to just sit down and have like kind of okay this is what i'm going to talk about i'm going to hit record and i'm going to do this like there's people that just have a natural talent for that and joe bob absolutely does
1: well he he does he does script it joe bob does script the show and he does have a teleprompter but Mm -hmm. just the fact that he can make it look like he doesn't and that it's not scripted is a talent
0: well you should always have some notes or whatever or something to in case you forget something or there's like a lot of a lot of trivia you're trying to talk about you should you should have your thoughts together but yeah it also all always depends on how you end up delivering it and he does it in a way where he makes you think that this is just all on the fly and it, it usually is all just in one take with little to no stuttering and it's very very charismatic like his um his his level of, of delivery and, and presence is un, unmatched by a lot of people i would say He has a gift and a
2: natural charisma that you can't fake. He loves these kind of movies and he loves being able to talk about them and he has the ability to talk about them with the knowledge to back them up. He doesn't just get out there and, oh, this is good. And I kind of like it. And no, he gets out there and he's like, this is good. And it was from this guy. And he also brought us this. And he has so much information. Just he'll just spew out. Uh, an uncut tangent, it's insane, can just do that off the cuff. It's, it's amazing. It's great. I mean, I, I have moments where I can do that. Mm-hmm. He does it
1: just... Effortlessly,
0: just every time,
1: just every time, knocks it out of the park. See, back when I had my old crappy show, we would do it Joe Bob style, where we would all one take, no breaks or anything like that. Mm. I could, I, I I mean, I was proud of how much we didn't stutter and just ran through it. I'm not even close to where Joe Bob was, even in the drive-in theater days. You know, he he just he commands the screen, and in all honesty, he has such a cult built up around him. It's like what I've always said about the Horror Hosts. When when I was growing up, I mean, you know, nowadays they're coming back, but kids don't really know the Horror House today, that that experience. Peter, you're a little bit younger, but I know you remember this. Cecil, I know you remember this. We didn't watch their shows for the movies. We we weren't like, oh, I don't really want to see that movie. I'm not tuning in this week. We tuned in for the host. And then whatever movie they were showing was the extra, wasn't it? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I when I was watching in a similar fashion with Mystery Science Theater, I didn't you know, a lot of times I didn't know what the movie was. It was just you were just watching it because you wanted to see what the people were talking about. I liked when I would tune into Monster Vision. And it was kind of cool when he would come on and he would introduce, you know, he would say a movie and I'm like, oh, I know this movie, you know, I'd watch it. But then there was a a joy. Hey, I'm going to talk about and whatever it was. And I'm like, I've never heard of this. This is awesome. And Mm -hmm. he's dumping all this knowledge and this love about this film that I haven't seen, but I'm going to see it. Cool. It was that is largely what a lot of the joy about the horror hosts was coming from. You're tuning in for the host. And then the bonus is to see whatever they're going to introduce you to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's the one of the biggest drawing points for Joe Bob was definitely him, his personality, what he brings to the table, the trivia that he brings to the table. And then the movie, yeah, is just kind of icing on the cake. It'll either be something you're looking forward to watching or it'll be something you're getting introduced to for the very first time.
1: Well, let's go to the interview with Joe Bob. Now, this was just done a few days ago at the time we're recording this episode. So, I'm going to mention the how the rednecks save Hollywood that's coming to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. By the time this airs, that will still be relevant, but if you're downloading this months from now, ignore that part. So, Joe Bob, let's start with some old housekeeping things before we talk about shutter. I've been going back and watching some of your old back catalog. I had some questions about drive-in theater. You used to do the advice to the hopeless and the drive-in queens and stuff. Have any of those people from those days ever contacted you online and been like, Joe Bob, you read my letter in 1988.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, not only do they contact me online, they contact me in person. I was just in Tucson last week. woman walked up, handed me a letter that I had written her in 1989 and said, would you sign this? And I said, Well, I've already signed it. I signed it in nineteen eighty nine. she said, Would you sign it again? And so and so I wrote, I'm gonna sign this piece of paper every thirty years and signed it. And so Yeah, that happens more than you would think, you know, or people I want to reminisce about a show that I did, you know, back in the 80s. So many people have told me they were at my first show in Berea, Ohio, in uh, 1985, that it's more people than could have actually gotten into that auditorium.
1: <laughs> the Any Jerk Can Host contest, did that guy ever, did you ever contact him again?
3: Any Jerk Can Write Like Joe Bob? I think, uh, oh boy, I, I think that, if I'm, if I'm recalling correctly, that was a guy from central Indiana. Am, am I recalling that correctly? <laughs> who, who, um, had worked at, uh, University of Indiana, Indiana University. Yeah. He, he, uh, did occasionally get in touch for about the next 10 years, <laughs> but I haven't heard, heard from him since then. He's famous actually in basketball history. Bobby Knight threw a chair all the way across the, the uh, court in a, in, in, in a basketball game, and it hit one of the spectators, and it, it hit the guy who won the Anybody Can Write Like Joe Bob contest. So, okay, then the other thing is the
1: one 900 joe bob How long did that last?
3: Wow, the uh boy, you're really bringing back the memories. There was a um there was a period where everyone was doing nine hundred numbers. You would it was just a form of entertainment. You would call up you know, you would get a little five minute piece of something. Some company came to me and said, You wanna do these? And I you know, and I and I did, you know, I think there were maybe 20 different messages that you that you got if you call the number cost 49 cents or something i don't remember it, it lasted about as long as the fad for that lasted which was i would say certainly no more than within one year you know 900 numbers per you know continued to exist but it was mostly some kind of porn or you know phone sex or stuff like that but it, but, you know, but that particular type of happy 900 <laughs> number didn't last very long. So it was just as long as, as, as long as it was happening. Did you get a lot of response for it? Well, yeah, no. I mean, no, you know, medium amount of response, uh, what you would expect. I mean, it was stupid. It was really stupid. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, it was, it was just some guy that was, that was promoting that. Uh, I also did did little spots like that for syndicated radio. That was more interesting. I, I would do little three minute rants for um morning drive time shows uh on radio. And I did that for a while. I did that for uh three or four years. And that would just be either a either a quickie movie review or a quickie rant about something that was in the news. I had this love-hate relationship with radio. I I, I admire the people who do radio. I can't do it. They, they would bring me once a year to be the guest host for a classic rock station in San Francisco, and I would be the drive-time guy for one week every summer. Well, you know, so that's four hours. It's like 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And so I would start on Monday at 6 a.m. I would be out of material by 8 a.m. on Monday. You know, like I I didn't, have, I didn't have much more to say. So I would just take phone calls the rest of the week. Well, fortunately, it was the classic rock station in San Francisco, so you could just play 37-minute Grateful Dead songs, <laughs> and uh, they were happy. You know? a, a lot of stairway uh, to heaven, huh? Yeah, absolutely. But I did have these little syndicated pieces that they would run on some of the rock morning drive time rock station.
1: Do you have any of those still? I mean, do you still have copies?
3: Oh, man, I doubt it. I'm not very good at saving stuff like that. But you know, my my fans have rescued a lot of stuff that would have been otherwise lost, both stuff in print media that I wrote, you know, things that I wrote, or things that in uh, video that, we're kind of obscure, you know, and they'll, they'll find them and send them to me. And, uh, and really I'm, I'm indebted to people who have collected this stuff because I did a lot of TV that wasn't, I would go to Portland or something and be on the noon talk show <laughs> and on, on a TV station in Portland. Who's going to save that? Apparently somebody, somebody sent it, you know, cause just they send it to me. It's on YouTube. And so, uh, yeah. And YouTube is great because YouTube. Fans put up the stuff, you know, that they have saved uh, since, you know, from from time immemorial. Every once in a while, the lawyers make them take it down, and they put it right back up. And so I I love that. I
1: I found a weird one of you at KDAF hosting Beach Blanket Bingo Week.
3: I kind of remember that. I kind of remember that. That was uh, was a Dallas station, I think. Uh, The memory's going. Yeah, I do remember doing that. I do remember doing that. Yeah, I I did, I did a lot of weird TV back in the days of syndicated TV, often for free just to promote a book or something, you know? I it's not like it was a job, it was just, you know, something I was doing. I remember we went on the local station in San Francisco and gave a lifetime achievement award to um Carol Dota, better known as the Twin Peaks, uh, the most famous topless dancer in history. I guess she originated, it was called go-go dancing in the sixties. And, but she was the first to like go totally topless and get arrested. She got arrested, you know, several times until they legalized topless dancing <laughs> and you didn't have to wear the pasties anymore. So because of that, Carol Dota was. Like this, this immortal figure in topless dancing and we gave her a lifetime achievement award on the, on the show show and. You know, we would do crazy things like that on local TV. Well, obviously you had a little
1: bit more leeway when you went to the movie channel. I was watching some of your, the earliest ones that have been rescued. I know you have 496 movie channel episodes, but there's only about 80 of them online. You are so laid back in those early ones compared to the, I I don't want (laughs) to say hyperactive, but the much more energetic Joe Bob we're used to.
3: I mean, partly that's because of the way the show started is that the movie channel, first of all, the movie channel was the fourth, it was always the fourth premium channel. You know, you would buy HBO, you know, you had your cable, and then you would have to pay extra for HBO, and then if you still wanted more, you paid for Showtime, and then if you still wanted more, you paid for Cinemax, and then if you were a crazy-ass, you know, consumer... You would buy a fourth premium channel, and that was the Movie Channel. So we were always like the small kid on the block, uh, trying to get noticed. And so because of that, the guy, the guys that ran the channel, they went over to Europe at one of those film markets, and they bought a bunch of crap. It were they were the worst movies. I mean, but they were either sex or violent. And so they thought, who can we get to host these things? And they asked me to come be a guest host because they'd seen some you know me celebrating some exploitation movies in print and so they invited me to be a guest host for 1 month we did 4 episodes and i all we had was it was the chair the the lazy boy recliner with the steer horns on the back you know stared straight down the barrel of the camera and introduced these movies and at the end of the month they they were like oh well, that went pretty well Come back for another month. And so I came back for the next month and then they would invite me back, come back, do another month, do another month, do another month. Well, I was there for 11 years, you know, and I, I don't even think, I don't even think we ever did a contract or finished a contract for, for the whole time. I mean, we would, we would start to talk about a contract and I would just say, well, how much are you going to pay me? And they would tell me, and I'd say, well, that's okay. We don't need a contract. Just pay me that. And so we, and so we did 11 years and it, I mean, it was literally that informal. I mean, originally it was on a little crappy stage by um, Penn Station in New York. And then we moved to the spacious Dumont Studios from the old Dumont Network in Spanish Harlem. We were in the Honeymooners, where they used to do the Honeymooners. And then I said, you know, you guys are spending way too much money. I can do this on a tiny stage in Dallas for like a fourth of what you're spending. And so I just moved the whole thing to Dallas. Most of the years of drive-in theater and Monster Vision were done from uh, Dallas. Fortunately, Ross Perot built a studio down there that nobody wanted to use. And so they had a real cut rate on the on the use of it. So we were in Ross Perot's studio. Sometimes Ross would come in and film something. He would film something right next to the drive in set. So that's that story. It, it, so the reason I probably seemed different in those early episodes is the stakes were so low <laughs> there was no, you know. It was just a guest shot. Thought I w I wasn't gonna be around next month. So, you know, later it became a more serious endeavor, you know. <laughs> and something Let's put more prep into it
1: what happened with linda blair week was that real because I, I know sometimes like with the fifth anniversary special in vegas the whole premise was nothing's going right with the friday the 13th marathon monster vision nothing was going right was the linda blair week where we have to air last week's episode that didn't air and joe bob screamed at us for losing the tape was that real or was that part of the joke
3: <laughs> that was probably part of the joke i don't remember if that's the, if that If we had Linda on, Linda was on the show, but I don't remember if she was on during Linda Blair week. But I remember her not being very happy to be there, you know, not, not really being in the comedy spirit of the show, even though I I adore her. I think she's great, but I, I felt like. I probably got off on the wrong foot and said something that offended her or something and, then, and 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 so I didn't feel like she was fully engaged as we as we did those interviews maybe because she was pissed off I don't know no it was probably something I made up to explain why we didn't have a movie or something you know just like in the Friday 13th marathon we had to explain why we didn't have Friday the 13th part 4 and the only reason was you know for just some rights issue we didn't have the rights and so we had to make up some fake reason why we weren't showing praise at the 15th part four <laughs> well because I,
1: I also rewatched your gary Busey interview and i don't mean this in any yeah. kind of insulting way i don't think you had control of that interview at any moment you, you seemed like you had a, you were a deer in headlights a couple of times
3: gary no, but i'm to okay be... with that i'm okay with that if it's if it's good tv I'm, I'm okay with that. That was nothing compared to Sally Kirkland. When Sally Kirkland was on, she completely just ran away with it. And, and we were doing it in the bedroom set. I don't know if you remember this, but we had a bedroom set. I, and, I remember um, Michelle Bauer was on that set. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was in bed with Sally Kirkland as we were doing the interview and she just went off on so many. California New Age tangents and sexual tangents and talked about having sex with Muammar Gaddafi and it was just it just went into wild places and and I had no control of that one either I kind of like it when they go off the rails like that though because, you know, I, I've always had this rule on the set that we don't stop. We don't stop. We never stop. No matter what happens, we don't stop. And so, and so the number of times, I don't know how many hundreds of shows we've done, but the number of times we've stopped is like maybe four, you know, in the whole history of all the shows. And so if something like that happens, Then I, the reason I do it that way is so, so in the back of my mind, I can't be thinking, oh, I got to cut this off and start over. I have to be thinking, we're going with this. We're going with it. (laughs) You know, and so, I mean, Gary, but Gary was, I mean, he told me, he said, I'm brain damaged. He, you know, feel my head. I'm brain damaged. There's a crease in my head where I got from my motorcycle accident. And so, how can you argue with that? (laughs) You said something
1: weird in one of the Linda Blair pieces that made me wonder if any of the guests ever went off the rails too far. Even though you're showing movies with blood and boobs and breasts and beasts and lots of swearing, you're not allowed to use four-letter words in the host segments?
3: We... I mean, I never tested that. I think it was the policy of the network not to use four letter words. And, and I never tested that because I never wanted to because I, I mean, I I don't often do that anyway.
1: When you were on shutter during the first drive in theater, when I heard you say, demons f***ing six, it was weird to hear you swear.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And, but that's the, that's the only time I use it is, is, is some kind of weird Jokey emphasis way, you know, we never sweared on, uh, we never swore on, uh, drive-in theater. And of course we couldn't on TNT because it was basic cable. They had, they had many more rules. On TNT, I, I, if I had to say something on TNT, I would have to often have to make up a nonsense word, aardvarking, because you couldn't say the real word. And actually, a lot of times that made it funnier than it, it, it if actually I said did, the real word.
1: I remember in the bacon curls commercial, <laughs> you used bajabers, and I'd never heard bajabers yeah. before. <laughs>
3: Actually, those limitations that they put on you, they often result in funnier material, even though I would bitch about them constantly. Definitely a family-oriented network. Now, I was on in the middle of the night, so I didn't have as strict rules as other people. And plus, they didn't all, they didn't, they never watched. They never watched the show unless people complained. And so if I came up, you know, just short of something that would make people complain, then I was fine. If I went over that line, I was in big trouble because then they would watch the, they would watch that little snippet that made people angry and they would be totally be out of context and they wouldn't. They wouldn't be aware of the 30 shows that came before that and the 30 shows that came after it. They wouldn't be aware of the mood and the atmosphere of the show. And so it would look really, really bad because it was out of context. It was good and bad that they didn't watch the show, that they didn't really care about the show. So
1: You said on Drive-In Theater when you went on your lesbian rant when they quote-unquote beat you up, you said you got a lot of hate mail on that. Was that also part of the gag or did you actually get mail about your militant lesbian? No. I,
3: I, I would, I would get, I wouldn't call it hate mail, but it was, you know, I, I, even though if I, I may have called it hate mail on the air, but angry mail, you know, angry mail from various groups that would feel like I'd picked on them. I tried to pick on all the groups so that it would be, you know, equal opportunity offense. Uh, but some groups were more sensitive than others. I guess at that particular time in history, le- those particular lesbian jokes were not well received, but I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember the gag. I don't. I don't remember exactly what we were doing. You went
1: to a a, a lesbian convention and you got beat up by militant lesbians and you came out all oh, wrapped up in bandages. Oh, oh
3: yeah, half true because I did go to a lesbian convention. I went to a a, a gathering of lesbians at the uh, Dinah Shore Golf Tournament in uh, Palm Springs. Apparently, they go there every year to the Dinah Golf Tournament. And which I don't quite understand because I don't think Dinah Shore was a lesbian. I think she dated Burt Reynolds. But anyway, I I had gone to this thing and met a lot of lesbians and been in a lot of like awkward events where I was the only guy. And and they didn't really want me to. It was like it was really it was really, a you know, one of those uh, minority way you feel when you're a minority. And so it was probably inspired by that. I was, there, I was just there for a magazine article.
1: I picked up the Round Eye album because I saw you were on it. I loved the album. How did you wind up doing the <laughs> spoken word parts for a punk
3: rock album by white guys in Shanghai? <laughs> uh, they asked me to do it. They were, they were fans of uh, Monster Vision. They wanted to do some songs that were sort of tributes to the old, uh, you know, Monster Vision format. And so they asked me if I would do the uh you know sort of the interstitial little bits on it. I have since met Round Eye. They did a they did a North American tour. We happen to be in New York at the same time and so I we met at a pizza place in Brooklyn and uh I met all the members of Round Eye. They have a special license in China to uh, you have to be licensed to play clubs in China and they have a special license that allows them to do their material which you would think some of it might be sort of over the line for China. They have uh developed a following in China among the Chinese. So, but they're all Americans. They they they, they all had to move to China because their wives got jobs in China. I mean, basically, I think 3 of the 4, that's the story. And so you know, what do you do if your spouse has a job in China and you don't? You start a band.
1: <laughs> it's a good band, too. I'd never heard of them before this. It is and a good band. I I really, I mean, I don't know what your musical tastes are like, but this was right up my
3: alley. Oh, yeah. No, I love the music. I love it. I, I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it hardcore punk. I mean, it's. It's very mellow in, 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 it's at the mellow end of the punk scale, I would say. Yeah. It's got a little rockabilly uh, but, uh, in
1: it and that. Yeah.
3: Good. I, I have a, back in the eighties, when I was doing my one man show, I had a band called the, uh, Joe Bob Briggs All Cousins Hillbilly Band. That's what they would be when they would play for me. But in, it really was guys in a hard, serious hardcore punk band called Stick Men with Ray Guns right at the heart of the punk movement so i went to some really hardcore punk clubs to see them perform and you know tried to stay at the back so i wouldn't be killed but uh it was, but so, I, so anyway i have a i have a track record with the with punk guys well
1: now now we got to move on to shutter so when you brought last okay. when you brought last drive in about you broke shutter it, did that make you I, yep. I I I know I've read that you weren't happy that people didn't get to see it but obviously they did later. Did it kind of make you happy that even Shudder underestimated your fan base?
3: Well, I'm never surprised that anybody underestimates my fan base. Yeah, I mean it was it was um the people that worked on the show were more confident about the show than I was. The director is a wonderful guy named Austin Jennings, who is a millennial. You know, he's 30 years younger than me. And he's the one who convinced me to do the exact same show that I had done on Monster Vision. I was like, you can't do that, Austin. I, you, you can't repeat TV. You can't do Dick Van Dyke 20 years after Dick Van Dyke. You know, you can't do Magnum P.I. You can't bring it back. And they said, "No." That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do the exact same show. I was <laughs>
4: like,
3: okay. So that's one reason that I thought it was gonna be a one-time deal. You know, this is gonna be like a nostalgia thing. It's a swan song. And then the second thing they wanted to do is we're gonna interrupt the movie for you know we're gonna have a commercial break. And I was like, do you have commercials? No. But you're still gonna interrupt the movie? Yeah. Isn't that gonna piss people off? Aren't they gonna aren't they gonna surf out? And and they were like, no no no. We think it'll work. And if they wanna watch the movie without you interrupting, you know, it'll be a available on the service somewhere else okay all right let's go you know and so we didn't have any money so we had to do it in a yet another crappy stage (laughs) like like the original movie Channel show. but the uh, but the people that were working on it thought it was really special in fact Felissa Rose who's been a friend of mine for years she she came on as one of the guests she got to the studio and she said this is very special about this is very special I said why is this special Felissa we're in the slums of Newark (laughs) She says she says she says I don't know I just have a feeling it's very special I'm so happy to be here it's so special I was like okay Felissa all right you know be nice to have a real studio <laughs> <laughs> but she was uh you know so confident in the show and you know so later i said well Felissa, i guess you were right because everyone liked the show so you know we we did a good job but yeah I, I was totally surprised that there was such an overwhelming overwhelming love poured out of the the old fans and some new fans and some young fans the the, the fans that have been born since the year 1995 they all say the same thing they say why aren't there horror hosts anymore? Why didn't we have this when we were growing up? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I could give you some theories about it. Commercial hour on TV used to be something like uh 48 minutes, you know, and then there were just 12 minutes of commercials, and now I think it's something like 42 minutes, <laughs> and there's 18 minutes of commercial, and so there's no room for the host. There's just no room, you know, so that would be one reason that you don't have horror hosts, but I, you know, I, I don't really know the reason. You know, because we all got fired at the same time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Rhonda Sheer and Elvira and everybody else. We all got fired at the same time. So I I don't know why that why that happened and that that was sort of over. But now it's back because streaming. You know, you can do it with streaming.
1: Well, with with on with Shutter with the original Last Drive-In. I thought that was a great send-off. It was a somber little goodbye with the music and then the lights come down. And you put the hat on the chair. I thought that was a great send-off. What then prompted them to go? Holy sh look at these ratings. Joe Bob's coming back again.
3: That was it. Public support for it caused them to want to do more more shows. And so, you know, they were like, are you up for it? And I was like, yeah, I'm up for it. So, you know, so we did some more, we did some more shows. And, and um, I, you know, I, I love, I love the movies and I always try to make the, uh the show about the movie. You know, there's, there's the two schools of late night movie hosting. One is, you do sketches. You do comedy. We, we would occasionally do that. But for the most part, what I do is deep dives into the movie itself. I don't, I, I don't go too far away from the movie. Or if I do go too far away from the movie, I always come back to the movie. And then the other extreme is Hosts that don't even watch the movie. They just do sketches at the commercial breaks and ne- neither one is better than the other. But I think the reason that there's an audience for this now is that there's more, that there are more young people, especially millennials who idolize these movies and want to know more and more and more about them. They idolize the eighties. Which I don't quite understand because there's a lot of crap in the eighties. They, 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 uh, horror fans are different from all other genre fans. Horror fans want to see everything. They want to see everything from the beginning of horror, from the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in 1922 to the latest Jordan Peele movie, you know, and they want to see everything in between in every decade and they want to talk about it. And so my particular kind of, um, intense, Study of these films is attractive, I guess, to people who are hardcore into it.
1: Well, now you had the other two specials after Last Drive-In, and now you've got the regular Last Drive-In that's starting this week. Is this going to be any right. different than those, and are these going to be available on demand? Cause I know you were you a big push for the communal viewing experience, but there's a lot of us who have to work on Friday nights, so watching it live is not an option.
3: The great thing about streaming is we you can have both. So we do have we do have a dedicated audience that wants to watch it live and they're all connected on social media as they're watching it. There's a big viewing party for the show in at a bar in Glendale, California. There's a huge group of people who watch it on on Slack so they can talk Talk to each other on Slack while it's going on. It's a huge group of people that call themselves. Well, there's various groups that call themselves the Drive-In Mutants, and they and they're connected online either through Twitter or Facebook or some other social media. They watch it that way. So I, I like that. I like that communal experience. And then other people watch it later or they rewatch it later. We have, we have both. It's better if you watch it live. <laughs> I, I get
1: that, but sometimes, but you know, getting off every Friday night, is, you know, from work is not really an option for myself and a lot of other people. Right.
3: Well, that's the good thing about streaming, though, is it's eventually going to be available. So a lot of people didn't see the original marathon, but they they saw it later on demand. There were even some people who were so fanatic that they watched it straight through. You know, it was 26 hours long. There were some people who said, I want the whole experience. <laughs> I'm, going to watch it. I'm going to turn it on and watch it straight through 26 hours. And they did. And then they would write to me about it and say, yeah, well, we finished it and here's, here's what we think and here's the highlights and man, I'd never heard of this movie, but I'm glad it was in the marathon and, uh, you know, I faded at this point, but I came back at this point, you know, so. I, I
1: tried so, um, to watch it live, the first one, <laughs> yeah. but I kept after about the fifth time I got kicked off the server, I said, you know what, screw this. I'll get it later.
3: I know. I know. It, it, it was frustrating. There, there's a, um, Twitch. One guy was, that had a good connection was broadcasting it over Twitch so everybody could watch it. And for his efforts, he got kicked off of Twitch forever. I think he got, I think he eventually got back on because we complained so loudly, but you're not supposed to rebroadcast media on Twitch apparently. Anyway, you know, it is a pay service. It's only $5 a month, but it's still a pay service. And so. They, you know they got to get their five bucks. You can get the free trial and and watch it and then cancel. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say that. You always had battles with
1: the high sheriffs over sort of the movies at Movie Channel and Monster Vision. Do you get to pick the movies this time?
3: Yes, uh, I pretty much pick the movies uh, with with the advice of my uh, producer and director. But the list is not that expansive. I mean, there's it, that doesn't mean I can just pick any movie and they'll make a deal for it and get the rights to it. The first list we have to go through is what they already have the rights to or what they're about to have the rights to. And then, you know, we can put in requests for movies that we'd like to have, and then they have to check them out and see if it's possible to get them. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But I I always end up with with a mix that I like because, you know, I mean, my my tastes are not narrow. (laughs) There's There's a lot of different ways we can go with it. I mean, we have classics, we have so bad it's good movies, we have cult movies, we have horror comedies, we have foreign horror We have a lot to pick from.
1: Well, and then people can also see you live, live. Like, for instance, at the date we're recording this, next Saturday, not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after that, I will be seeing you live in Milwaukee for How the Rednecks Saved Hollywood. What's that been like, touring around with that?
3: That's great. I love the live shows. Every city's different. Every audience is different. Now, when I first started doing that show, it's a very redneck show. It's a very Southern show. And so I only did it in cities that love their Confederate monuments, you know. <laughs> and then a uh, guy in Boston asked me to come up and do it at his theater in Boston. I said, OK, we'll have every redneck in Boston at the show because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical about this. So it worked. It worked in Boston. And so since then, I've, I've done it in, in uh, other places in the north. It's a, uh, it's kind of, it's a fast moving, what would I call it? It's film history, it's redneck history, it's comedy, it's, uh, it's, it's 250 clips and stills in two hours. It moves really fast. <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's, it's just, it takes you through this ride. It's this ride through history, but it's, I'm doing a bad job of describing my own show. It's an experience. It's it's not like a TV show. It's it's a it's a um, rant monologue stand up routine clips and stills from movie history. That's the best way I would put it. What are the fan interactions like after these shows? Oh, they're amazing. I mean, I always do. You know, signings and meet and greet everywhere I go. People come up and share their stories with me and, uh, it's great. You know, one thing I noticed that's different about today as opposed to when I first started doing shows 30 years ago, more women come to the shows. I've always had a very male audience. You know, I don't know. I think horror is male and the kind of movies I championed were, you know, had a principally male audience. And so the first time I noticed, you know, more women at the shows was, you know, they'd be dragged there by their husband or their boyfriend or whatever. And then on this latest tour, I noticed sometimes the woman is dragging the man to the show. <laughs> and so that's a big change. That's a big change in the, uh, in the horror landscape. I love uh, talking to the people before and after the show. So now people can
1: find the new show on Shudder and it's what, 13 episodes, 13 weeks, which would be 26
3: movies if I'm right. The first series is uh, nine weeks, so it's 18 movies, and also the, the old shows are still up, the original 13-movie marathon, and the, there was a four-movie marathon called Dinners of Death at Thanksgiving, and then there was a four-movie marathon at Christmas, and those are both still up on demand. Yeah, the new series runs through Memorial Day. So it starts on March 29th and runs through Memorial
1: Day. You had a new book last year, but I know that's a John Bloom book rather than a Joe Bob book.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any. People come and they want the books. Uh, I've, I've sold almost all the books that I had. People complain because my books have been out of print for so long. All the books, Amazon has some kind of algorithm that's based on demand. So if a lot of people want a book, even if it's an old out of print book, the price goes up. Prices of my books now are up over a hundred dollars and, and they used to be like one (laughs) dollar. And so, (laughs) and so I tell people, look, give me, give me a little bit of time and I'll get, uh, my publisher to reprint some of these books. (laughs) I'll get them back down to normal book prices and so i can bring them to the shows and sign them i'm i'm almost out of uh, all all the ones that i had i've i've pretty much sold yeah, you, no. you you wouldn't
1: believe what your old newsletters go for on a secondary market. Those, oh my God, those go for fifteen uh, or twenty bucks a
3: piece. Really? Sometimes people will bring me one of those to sign, Uh so I, I do see those from time to time. I mean, what 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 would really be valuable is if you had the whole set. I don't know how many years I did that, but uh we had big binders that we would sell that go with them. That that would be. I don't, I don't even know if I have that. I don't think I do.
1: I've got a lot of them. It's just too expensive to fill in the holes in my collection.
3: Well, that's something. I can't reprint those, so <laughs> there's nothing to do about those.
1: The weird thing about the Cult of Joe Bob, how much stuff there is out there that nobody remembers he as he talked about he wrote in so many different magazines sometimes as joe bob briggs sometimes as john bloom his real name he wrote first he wrote so many articles that are just sort of scattered about maybe you'll find him in an old issue of you know national review or something like that there are all of these old rants he used to do on the radio i haven't seen a single copy of that he used to have his all cousins rock band out there no known recordings out there 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 are all the times he appeared on radio, he would guest host on random TV stations in Florida and Dallas and Los Angeles and do a week of movies I mean just drive-in theater alone, he was on for 496 straight weeks that's two movies a week for the bulk of that run, There, that means over a thousand episodes of that show exist, just drive-in theater, there are only about 120 on line and that's not even counting monster vision and all of this other stuff it's insane how much joe bob product is out there that might be lost forever
0: oh yeah i mean you could sit all day and try to watch all his stuff or even all week and there's likely something that you missed like it's amazing how much that guy worked
2: yeah, it's crazy. I've gone onto various sites where they've uploaded old episodes and I watched a lot of uh, of Joe Bob in the 90s. And then like I'll go on, I'm like I never saw so many episodes. Like I had no idea I missed so much. There's a lot out there and that's not even all of them.
1: You'll find like I I had on my YouTube channel before it got pulled down. Joe Bob was on some British movie show just randomly. Obviously in America we never got that when it aired because it was a british only show so thanks to the internet we get to see these or he's on an australian talk show in the early 90s and stuff and it's like it's amazing how much joe bob stuff there is out there and yet there's only these like 150 total episodes that have made it online
2: well you have to think about it i mean back then studios weren't archiving stuff and then you had people that were recording it on VHS. I have tons of stuff that I recorded off of television on VHS, but I just, I'd have to go through and, and figure out, okay, I have this on here and then transfer it digitally. And it's, uh, so, I mean, you have a lot of people who have gone through that process who actually have taken uh, a lot of their old VHS tapes and have, uh, put them up online. So uh, there are so many things out there, so many weeks of something like this where people recorded them. put I mean, remember at the end of, uh, mystery science theater, they had the, uh, keep circulating the tapes
1: until they got the sci-fi channel era when the lawyers said knock that shit off you're encouraging bootlegging they
2: it's kind of funny that comedy central didn't you know comedy central now would be like knock that off but you know it was but it was a way of helping them grow and a lot of times mystery science theater is another show that was able to continue to grow because of bootlegging and piracy and that kind of thing the we didn't have the download speeds back then to be able you know we didn't have youtube and all that to, to put that that stuff up and
1: watch. As much as I love the video stuff, I love when I find old written works from him. You'll you'll find some old, you know, in a resale shop near you. You'll find an old magazine like National Review or a Rolling Stone or these obscure magazines. Like there was a a satire magazine called Man Splat. I picked up some issues because they had interesting covers. You flip through. There's a Joe Bob Briggs article in here. You're like, that's awesome. I've never seen, you know, this is one that was never reprinted in one of his books. And that's the other thing we got to talk about. Joe Bob merchandise. Before the last drive-in, before Shutter brought him back. You could have gotten one of his books off eBay for 10 bucks at the most. Now, those same books are three to four hundred dollars. It's weird how much his back catalog of physical properties, the old newsletters and all that, when he came back to the air, those shot up in price to ridiculous amounts. As you heard him say in the interview, he's working on trying to reprint all this stuff, all the books, so maybe it'll drive the price back down because, see, Joe Bob cares about his fans. He's more concerned about the fans than about, okay, this is worth 400 bucks. Well, you shouldn't have to pay 400 bucks to read my book. I'll reprint it to kill the secondary market. He's about the fans like I remember hearing some rumblings when the sh- when the shutter thing happened when you know he broke the internet and people couldn't watch it. A lot of people were like I bet Joe Bob's happy that he's so popular he broke shutter. The rumblings I heard was he was pissed off because people weren't able to see the show. That's a good attitude to have.
0: Well, yeah, that's proof that he's just a very salt-of-the-earth kind of person. He he cares about who, who he's entertaining and who, who's watching. It's not the income he's making from it. It's not the views he's getting from it. It's that people are entertained by it. That's obviously what he cares about because he's just a very genuine kind of person.
2: It's admirable that he cares that much because there are a lot of people that uh, they they would look at that and, oh, well, you know, there's there's a market here for this. So I'm going to try to, you know, profit off of that. Whereas he he's I have a feeling Joe Bob is, you know, he's not rich, but he's comfortable. And I think that that's all he ever really wanted. You know, he wanted to, you know, he he wanted to be able to talk about this and to make an honest living. And I think that he's doing well and he would rather his word get out there and people be able to read and continue to appreciate him rather than trying to profit ridiculously off of something like that.
1: Well, and you also have to look at the fact that he loves he, you know sometimes you run across people who are like oh I don't want to sign autographs I really don't you know Doyle from the Misfits recently had that huge rant about I don't want to meet these people after a show I just want to go home you know I'm sick of having to sign autographs you know that whole I don't like my own fans just buy the album and leave me alone yeah you know?
0: that really made me lose a lot of a lot of a respect for the guy it's like yeah, that's, Doyle that's can kiss part my ass of the, after part that of the game yeah. man. like meeting your fans is part of the work
2: you wouldn't be if, if it wasn't wasn't for your fans, you'd be working in like you know a steel mill or something. Oh, yeah. he would
0: absolutely just be working in like a warehouse or a steel mill. Yeah, play bass, dude. Yeah, you play fucking bass. Count your blessings. He's actually the guitar player. Jerry only was the bassist. But oh yeah. Well, he was very simple at guitar, though. He was very, like, two notes and whatnot. Like, he's not even that great of a guitarist. The right. fact that I remember him as the bassist, I think, speaks volumes. But, like, Joe Bob loves his fans. Look at how much he will
1: interact with them at the shows. Look at how much he will... I mean, he'll set for an hour after a How the Redneck Saved Hollywood Show and just take photos and talk to fans. And he loves to meet his fans. That goes a long goddamn way towards making his legacy, cementing his legacy.
0: No, absolutely. It it goes to show that he's not only... A fantastic entertainer, someone with a, a plethora of knowledge, these movies that, that not a lot of people are willing to give credit to or attention to, but he's just an all around great guy. Rare. That's a rare thing in the entertainment industry. A lot of people working in the entertainment industry are pieces of garbage. So it's really great to see somebody like Joe Bob. Not only was he great back in the day, but he's still awesome. Like that's fantastic.
1: I, like I said, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times now and he just, he is the nicest guy guy out there it's i, I can't imagine how much because right now obviously when i talked to him this is right before the new series aired he was on the promotional tour i can't imagine how many interviews he had to do how many people he had to talk to and did you you guys heard him in that interview he was energetic he he didn't seem irritated at all that i'm probably the 40th person he had to be interviewed by that week it's, it's just it's, it's it's, it's admirable.
2: Yeah, you don't you don't hear that a lot. You get a lot of people that uh they they run through the uh they run through the cycle and they're just exhausted, and they're tired, and they're oh, I'm tired of being asked the same questions and and he's
0: appreciative of it. Funny when some celebrities react to questions they're asked too much. Like Van Damme apparently gets asked about Kylie Minogue a lot. <laughs> he showed like her in Thailand. There was a point where they were asking him like, "So, your your Street Fighter movie, you you and Kylie Minogue, you had an affair?" He's like, I am done with this. I am going. You asked me too much about the Kylie. (laughs) Bye-bye. I am going.
1: It's so funny. To be fair, I tend to, if you've ever listened to any of the interviews on this show, people, I tend to ask the questions they don't get asked very often. The
0: obvious ones, like the the movies they're most famous for, you, like, I've listened to, like, the Joe Dante interviews and stuff like that, and it's very much some of his more underappreciated works, like, what his, what his like, more sort of obscure influences might have been, which I think a lot of creators and producers and er entertainers and actors, these are the questions... Questions that they want to be asked because they're tired of of answering the mainstream ones. They're tired of answering these, what was Street Fighter like, you know, questions that they want the they want something that's more like, you know, what about this little movie you made, you know, before you were famous? What, What was what was that like? What was it like working with this guy before everything became as big as it was and stuff? I think they would rather talk about those things or those like smaller victories for them rather than the ones that like everybody already knows about. Look
1: at the Joe Bob interview I just did. Probably half of that was stuff even Joe Bob fans probably had never heard of until i brought it up to him how often is he going to get asked about that punk rock album where he did the spoken word interstitials that round eye album by a bunch of white guy white expatriates in shanghai that made a Mm. punk rock album with joe bob briggs on it i bet a lot of joe bob fans were like what he was on a (laughs) punk rock album yes he was With a bunch of expats, that's awesome. Joe Bob, I think what his legacy is, if he were to die today, which I really hope he does not, if he were to die today, I think his legacy would be... A trailblazer. Because, yes, horror hosts existed before him. But he wasn't really a horror host. Go back to drive-in theater. How many times did he actually show horror movies? He He mainly
0: just showed, like, it was in general, like, B, Z-grade movies that he loved and grew up with and had a vast knowledge of. He didn't get to
1: pick the movies, so. hmm? He didn't get to pick the movies. He just had. He always
0: had so much to to say about them, though.
1: But, I mean, Joe Bob, I think he and Elvira, and they both came out around the same time. Elvira does predate him he and Elvira were sort of the face of the national horror host because all of us had horror hosts in our regional area I remember Cecil would talk about was it Stella Saturday Night
2: Stella from Saturday Night Der.
1: yeah see uh, where here we had Ned the Dead I don't know if, if Canada had any so I don't know when you were I growing up I just watched Peter.
0: Uh, TNT I mainly watched like American stations, so I had like I had Joe Bob and Elvira
1: but yeah so Joe Bob and Elvira were the national face of horror hosts Joe Bob just he's always brought it, and I think his legacy will be that down-to-earth... Now, you got to remember, Joe Bob Briggs and John Bloom are not the same person. They just happen to inhabit the same body from now, you know, now and then. They're sort of like Firestorm from DC Comics. They're two different people in the same body. He said that sometimes bites him in the ass, though. Investigative journalist John Bloom writes nonfiction books about true crime. He recently wrote one about satellites. John Bloom will be giving a talk at a bookstore about out his new his new book and people will come and be like, where's all the jokes? Where, where's the hat they can't understand that John Bloom and Joe Bob Briggs are two totally different people that happen to exist in the exact same body. (laughs) I I think that's also going to be part of his legacy of that weird dual personality. It's, it's funny. Maybe I'm talking out of school here, but when I'm, when I was interviewing Joe Bob Briggs and then all of a sudden after the interview was over, John Bloom and I sat and talked for a half hour.
0: Does that make sense? Well there is the, there's the sort of the on-air personality and then there's the person behind it and there's a little bit of truth to both of them.
1: Now obviously at the date we're recording this the new Shudder series just started a day or, a day ago. What do you think Joe Bob's Joe Bob's future holds? Do you think he we're talking multi-seasons of Shutter here cuz I mean his as far as I'm concerned his fame is only ri- is only going to go up from this point. And I think he is probably single-handedly going to cause more people to subscribe to Shutter than have all in all of Shutter's history up to this point.
2: I think at this point I don't, I mean, unless Shudder goes away, like, I'm sure they'll sign, you know, they've got him signed for a nice deal, and he can kind of continue this for as long as he likes. I think when it ends, I think it's going to end on his terms, because I don't see the audience going away. I know I'm going to continue to watch it for the rest of my life, you know, (laughs) like, as long as he keeps making them, and as long as he wants to keep doing them, I'm sure uh, Shudder will keep him on board. I can't see, you know, it, It. it, I think it would be silly, because I think he's probably brought in so many more subs to them than anything else they've done previously.
0: I think his future is whatever he wants it to be, really. I mean, this is something, the type of work that he does is the type of work you can do for a very long time when you're naturally good at it, which he very much is.
1: I agree, and I think right now, I'm not saying Shutter was in financial straits, but I think he's right now what's keeping the lights on at Shudder. Well, it's still I, kind
0: know? of a, a booming company. Like It's only been around for a few years so really any help that it gets be it from an entertainer like Joe Bob Briggs the type of movies that they're screening on it any help like that is going to help it grow as a company and I think he's definitely contributing to that growth with the starter sort of well starter company that it is for Joe Bob and it's both great for Shutter Well Shutter is owned by
1: AMC and I don't know anything about the specific workings of Shutter but we've been hearing for years about the complete mismanagement of AMC and I assume that has to filter down to Shutter as well cuz mm. it's Well known that AMC is run by people who have no idea what they're doing and are just barely staying afloat. If it wasn't for The Walking Dead, AMC probably would have been bankrupt by this point. Joe Bob is one of those rays of light It doesn't matter if I, okay, you, two of you and I, we have probably already seen everything in all three of the marathons he did prior to the regular series. I've seen all of the movies before he showed them. Cecil, you mentioned how Chud was trending on Twitter. Do you know how many people are saying that they had never heard of Chud before Joe Bob showed it? That, that, that breaks my brain.
0: Because that's such a staple. Like the Simpsons used to make references to Chud.
1: Yeah, Simpsons
2: made a few references to it. There are people I know that have legitimately never seen the movie, but they know what the acronym CHUD stands for. Yeah.
1: Then again, you also have to look at the fact that we are the exception. Like I, I went through every not counting the new Mystery Science Theater, which is all relatively mainstream stuff. The original MST3K, I looked through all of the movies. I literally had seen three quarters of those movies unriffed before they were ever a Mystery Science Theater episode. And I think people listening to this show are probably in that same area where a lot of people, a lot of Mystery Science Theater's mainstream audience probably had gone, I've never even heard heard of this movie or any of these actors before and and people like us are going this is like the fourth time i've seen this movie now and i think that is the beautiful thing about joe bob he's both exposing people to movies at the same time people like us are like you know what i haven't seen shot in 20 years this you know let's watch it and Joe Bob's along for the ride to wrap this up you should go watch Joe Bob on Shudder like like Cecil said it's like five bucks a month and he's on every Friday night two movies for the next eight weeks because there were nine nine weeks total but one has already passed at the time we're recording this so for eight more weeks so you got 16 more movies to check out guys where can people find the Cecil
2: Goodbadflicks.com as well as Goodbadflicks on YouTube Twitch Twitter Facebook and 1201beyond.com and I was very much influenced by Joe Bob he was uh, he was one of the illustrious folks that uh, that influenced what I end up what I am now doing today
1: Peter where can people find you up in Canada where I don't I'm assuming you can get Shudder in Canada. I I know people in the UK were bitching that they couldn't get it due to licensing rights. I'm assuming Canada can.
0: Yeah, Canada's got Shudder. You can find Shudder Canada Pete on Twitter, at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinematicus, YouTube, The Cinematicus, on 1201beyond.com, of course, with this show, my show lots of merchandise. And of course, on Patreon at Zinematica, where I am climbing for dollars. And of course, I too, one of my main influencers, of course, was also Joe Bob Briggs. And I think people, those that haven't seen his work should definitely go and check it out if you are into the type of stuff that we do. Joe Bob Fu. You can find (laughs) me at 1201beyond.com. You can
1: contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Go try and search out some of that weird stuff i talked about with joe bob some of it's on youtube some of it's not and buy round eyes album if you can it's called monster vision it's a great album and i'm about to play one of their songs for you
0: four stars what the
4: hell was that You guys hear about the brunette, the redhead, and the blonde who all work for a female boss? They notice that the boss leaves early every day. So one day the gals decide that when the boss leaves, they're going to leave too. After all, she never called or came back, so how would she ever know? So the brunette is thrilled to be home early. She does a little reading, goes to bed early. The redhead is elated to be able to get in a quick workout before meeting her dinner date. The blonde is happy to be home, but when she goes to her bedroom, she hears this muffled voice from inside. So slowly, she cracks open the door, and she's mortified to see her husband in bed with her boss. So ever so gently, she closes the door and creeps out of her house. The next day at coffee break, the brunette and the redhead mention leaving early again, and they ask the blonde if she's going to go with them. The blonde says, no way, I almost got caught yesterday.